Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. We're talking about Holy Ghost power tonight. On Sunday, we talked about Elisha wanting a double portion of the anointing of God or the spirit of Elijah to be upon his life because he knew the call that he had upon his life would require not his own personal strength, power, ability, not political powers, not emotional powers, not intellectual powers, not military forces or anything of that nature, secular powers. It required the anointing, the power, the glory, the majesty of the living God. So he wasn't asking for this power for his own personal gain, for his own personal pride reasons, but he was asking for this double portion of the anointing of God in his life so he could be effective in carrying out the will of the Father and the work of God in the world in which he lived. And how many of you know the world we live in today is no different than the world he lived in back then? And we need the same Holy Ghost fire and the Holy Ghost power in our lives in order to accomplish and achieve the things that God has called us to do. Why? Because the work of God is not a secular work. It's not a work of intelligence. It's a work of power and might. It is the hand of God being stretched out touching hearts, changing lives, empowering people to stand for Him, to speak for Him, to proclaim truth in the name of Jesus, to reach the hearts and lives of people around the world. And there's nothing more important, praise God, than getting people into the kingdom of God by the blood of the Lamb. Saving the lost is the number one thing on the heart and mind of God. And so we want to be certain that we are equipped, qualified, and empowered, praise God, everywhere we go to let people know about Jesus and His precious blood and the cross upon which he shed his blood and died for our sins. Well, if you go back to the very beginning, what we discover in God's relationship with mankind and dealing with mankind, we understand, first of all, when it comes to redemption, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, all three being involved in redemption. We know the Father planned a plan of redemption. We know that Jesus worked out the plan when he was here upon the earth, and the Holy Ghost is the one that makes it good. It makes it a reality. We see that in the very beginning in Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 when all things were created. The Spirit of God didn't do anything until what happened? First of all, God the Father spoke, and that's the Son, Jesus. The Word went forth, and then the power of the Holy Spirit was in manifestation to create all things and recreate all things that are in this world. Well, the same thing is true here in redemption. The Father had His plan, part to play in it, the Son had His part to play in it, and the Holy Ghost has His part to play in it. But if we go back to the very beginning in the Old Testament, what do we discover? That God the Father, if we could say it this way, in the first manifestation or demonstration, uh, or you can even say dispensation, was God the Father manifesting Himself in the Old Testament, where He would, in some cases, even appear in a cloud of glory. He would speak to the fathers and the prophets and make himself known, make his ways known, etc., etc. He would interact with mankind himself. And you can see this in uh, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. You can see right here him manifesting himself, his presence, his power, his glory among men, tabernacling among men in the temple or the tabernacle. Started with the temple of Mo- Moses, a tabernacle of Moses, then the temple of Solomon, where God himself showed up. So let's read that. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Notice there has to be a sacrifice for the fire to consume before you can have the glory. 
Amen? There has to be a sacrifice before you can have the fire, so you can have the glory. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because of the glory the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, they saw it. And the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Notice you don't have to prod anybody to get them to praise and worship God when the fire falls and the glory appears. When the presence of God is so profoundly manifested, I mean, people enter into it automatically when there is that great display of God's awesome presence and power. And there's much more we can say about God the Father manifesting himself in the Old Testament, speaking to Moses on, on Mount Sinai, giving the Ten Commandments and the fire that was burning upon the, the mountain so that he began to quake, and etc., etc. But my point is, in that dispensation, this is God the Father manifesting himself in various ways among the people in his dealings with mankind. That's number one. Then secondly, what do we have? Jesus the Son. But he's not living in the tabernacle. He's not living in the temple of Solomon in the Holy of Holies. He is appearing in the tabernacle of his flesh. Look in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. He is tabernacling among men in his flesh. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So, a body was prepared for him. So, the second person of deity now you could call that his dispensation, which is the gospel era. And Jesus Christ, the second person of deity, the Son of God, inhabits a physical body. And now we've got God tabernacling on earth among men in the person of Jesus Christ. And as he was here upon this earth. What did he do? Tremendous things to minister life to people. But before that, look at um, Hebrews chapter um, 1 and beginning at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Notice, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God spoke back in the Old Testament. But in these last days, He has spoken to us, how? By His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So in the Gospel era, God spoke directly to us in the person of His Son, who came to the earth and said, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Period. Okay, so we see Jesus in that era, or in that dispensation, the second person of deity, manifesting himself, and what did he do? He ministered life to every person he came into contact with. He healed broken hearts, he healed people's bodies, he provided for their needs, he comforted them, he forgave them, and the list goes on and on. He was the express will of God in motion. He was God manifested in the flesh, the very likeness of the presence and the power and the glory of the living God. As a matter of fact, look at verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. This is from the English Standard Version. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Are you glad for the gospel era? Are you glad for that dispensation when Christ himself, the second person of deity, took on human flesh and walked upon this earth as a man, God on earth, Emmanuel, God with us, manifested in the flesh and doing everything he did to reveal to us what the very glory of God, the very love of God, uh, the will of God. He says, I am the will of God in motion. You can say he's just basically the will of God in complete manifestation and perfection. 
And everywhere he went, he set people free. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the living to the captives, and so on. That's what he came to do. And so we thank God for the gospel area in which Jesus Christ himself tabernacled on earth among men. But there was a limitation there because, you see, he could only be at one place at one time. And that brings us to our third dispensation. You could say the third dealing or manifestation of the living God on earth among men. And what is that third one? The Holy Spirit that we've been singing about here tonight. This is His dispensation. This is His time to deal with men on earth. You see, Jesus went back to heaven and He said, What? I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I am going to send the Spirit to you. And when He comes... He's going to come with great power and might. And there's going to be great and mighty things to such a degree that the works I did, you'll do also. And greater than these will you do because I go to my Father. Well, there's only one problem here with the presence of the Holy Spirit, and that is this. On the day of Pentecost when he came, he didn't have a tabernacle of Moses. He didn't have a Solomon's temple. He didn't have his own flesh body like Jesus did. You see, he's the Spirit of God. And what did Jesus tell his followers? Don't leave Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. These men walked with Jesus. These men watched Jesus. These men worked with Jesus. They saw the signs, the wonders, the miracles. They were used by him. But he said, don't do anything until the Holy Ghost comes. You see, this is his dispensation. But the problem is to do anything in the earth, to work in the earth, what do you need? A physical body. The Holy Ghost didn't have a tabernacle to live in or a temple. He didn't have his own flesh body to live in. So he proceeded not to the temple where the celebration of Pentecost was going on. He went to an upper room. We're talking about this place where they were gathered together with hungry hearts that desired more of God. That wanted to walk with God. They wanted to work for God. And in that place, that upper room, there appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each and every one of them. What was that fire doing? It was probably purging each and every one of them. And then empowering each and every one of them. Each one became a temple of the Most High God. Look in John's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Jesus talked about the the Holy Spirit coming. And John, of course, are reminding us of this. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that please on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him will automatically have them enter into their lives. Uh, no. They should what? They should receive him. 
they should receive him. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Remember when Paul went to Ephesus and he said, as he saw some believers that he thought were born again, said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we never heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has to be received. Look at John and 14, verses, um, I think, 15 through 18. If you love me, keep my commandments. I'll pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot not receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, he's dwelling with you right now, and shall be where? In you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, you got your seatbelts on? The Shekinah glory that fell on the Old Testament in the tabernacle and also in the temple was the presence of the Father, the very presence of the living God. And such display that the people fell on their faces, couldn't even stand because of His awesome presence and power. When Jesus came on this earth and He walked upon this earth, He, did, he walked as no man ever walked. And there He is in that flesh body. He is God manifested in the flesh. So God in the temple or tabernacle, God in the flesh, now God in you. God in me. Sometimes that's even hard to get out, isn't it? God in the Holy Spirit, the combined presence of God the Father and God the Son when you said yes to the Holy Spirit, entered into you as he did in the tabernacle, in the temple, in the person of Jesus, in you. Colossians 2 tells us we are complete in him who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You realize that we are the temple of the Most High God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of of the Holy Ghost or the temple of the combined presence of God the Father and God the Son in the person of the Holy Ghost which is in you which you have a God and you are not your own you're bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's you realize the Holy Ghost is looking for some person some body so he can inhabit that body so he can work his works in the earth you see it's not you doing the work it's not me doing the work it is yielding our bodies to Him so He can do the work through us. In us and through us. Can you say amen? And that's why it is absolutely essential that we receive the Holy Ghost. I'm talking fire and power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. We live in a time right now that people are mocking us for being born again, spirit-filled and speaking with other tongues. You realize that? How critical they were of our vice presidents because he said he talks to Jesus, calling him a lunatic. Or he's out of his mind, insane, because he talks to Jesus. I think you're insane if you don't. <laughs> what about it? Amen. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm always there for you. Call upon me, I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things of which thou knowest not. Didn't he say that? Absolutely. We're living in a time right now when there's much opposition. And once again, God's work is not going to be done with human efforts, secular efforts, military efforts, political efforts, intellectual efforts. It's going to be done because we yield to the Holy Spirit. 
and we allow him to manifest himself in us. We finally get to a place of recognizing the fact that the very glorious presence of Almighty God has taken up residency in our lives. Now let's add to this Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Look at this verse in that context, in that uh, setting, with that backdrop. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What is he saying? Present your body to God. You need a body? Here it is. You need a body to live in, to put your fire in, to put your glory in? I'm giving it to you. I'm yielding it to you. Didn't Paul say, what, don't, you, don't you know that to whom you yield yourself, servants to obey, the servants you become, of you become? Whether righteousness or unrighteousness, holiness or unholiness or ungodliness or godliness? Yeah, that's who we become. That's who we obey. He said, if we will yield ourselves, our bodies to Him, praise God. If we yield our bodies to Him, thank you, Jesus. He will inhabit us with fire and power. You see, He's looking for holy bodies. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. He is looking for dwelling places that are set apart for His use that are holy. Here Paul writing to Timothy as a young minister says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are His, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Divorce yourself from iniquity. But in the great house, they're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, set apart, made holy, and meet or prepared for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Hallelujah. What is he trying to communicate to us? The Holy Spirit is looking for bodies in which he can inhabit, where he can live in and bring with him fire, and glory and power so that through the vessels that are set apart and made holy by his divine presence he can work his works through our lives no wonder Jesus said the works that I do shall you do also and greater than these shall you do because I go to my father remember he said after that he talked about the Holy Spirit it is expedient it is profitable and beneficial for you that I go away because if I go if I don't go away then the Holy Ghost will not come. But if I go, the Holy Spirit will come. And why is that important? Because we've got Christians all around the world, Christ-like individuals with the same anointing and power that was upon Him and able to carry out the work that we've been called to do, not on our own strength and ability, but by the power of His might. And this indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, beloved we have yet begun to release the fullness of this presence of God on the inside of us. You realize that? We've not done it yet, but we should desire to do so. To give ourselves over to Him to be His holy vessels. Now remember, His holy, glorious presence is in jars of clay. Right? These jars of clay that we live in. 
And He knows our frame. He knows the weakness of our flesh. He understands that. But we should also understand that and realize we need to rely upon the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God to maintain the kind of lifestyle that He wants us to maintain and to yield ourselves to Him in such a way so that He can manifest Himself in us and through us. And so what I want to do is talk about kind of lay a foundation for where we're going with this. A twofold work of the Spirit of God in the life of every person that comes to the cross. The first one is salvation. When you came, like we talked about Elisha and Elijah, the first stop was Gilgal. Gilgal is the type of the cross where they renew their covenant with the Lord. That's where they basically had their beginning. It's the place of beginning. And what's your place of beginning? The cross. You came to Jesus. You gave your heart and life to Him. He washed you in His precious holy blood, right? That's where it starts. And thank God we've been washed in that blood. We've been saved by the precious blood of Jesus. But then secondly, there was a place of visitation called Bethel, where Jacob had the, you know, the, the visitation and all that, and the dreams and everything. That's the place where we sit down with God. That's the place where we visit with God. That's the place of divine uh, visitation, where He gives us our goals and our dreams, and gives us our ideas. He puts thoughts in our hearts and our minds. He, he gives us the desires of our heart, which means He placed desires within our hearts and minds that are honor and glorify Him. And so we begin to interact with Him and have fellowship with Him and closeness with Him. I don't know about you, but when I was in religion, it was Sunday, period, and rest of the week, you didn't even think about God. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, it was every day. What are we going to do now, Lord? Where do we go here? Let me, let me study your word and find out what you have for my life. What do you want me to do, Lord? I'll do what you want me to do. I give myself completely to you. I surrender. Okay, so the place of visitation where you study the word of God, you learn, you grow, you develop, etc. So you, now you've gone from Calvary being saved to now really having fellowship daily with the Lord. Thirdly, a place of victory and manifestations, Jericho. And in that place of Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down, praise God, you see that you serve a real God, a living God, with great power and might. And you honor Him in, 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 such, in, in such a way that you know that if you act on His Word and do what He says to do, there's going to be divine manifestations that are going to take place. You're, you're going to have victory after victory from faith to faith from glory to glory, right? You know that. But you're still not satisfied. He wasn't satisfied. The next thing was Jordan, which is a place of surrender, complete surrender. And here's where we're all challenged. That mantle, part of the, the, uh, the Jordan River, and Elijah and Elisha went across on dry land. And he saw him go up in a whirlwind, just like the apostles saw Jesus go up in, a, in, in the clouds. He said, if you see my mantle when I leave, then you've got your double anointing. You could say that the first one stands for the, the glory of the Old Testament. The second one stands for the glory of the New Testament, which is greater glory. But regardless, once he surrendered all, what did he get? His request. Completely surrendered to God. And he took the mantle and said, where is the God of Elijah? You realize that when we are that way and we know we've done what God said to do, there is about us a confidence and a boldness that we could act like he acted and said, I did my part now, God. You've got to do your part. And he smote those waters and the waters parted and they walked across on dry, he walked across on dry land. But guess where he went? He went right back to Jericho. 
But he didn't go back to Jericho in his own strength. He had this power, this anointing of God. And even though they were not listening to God, not following God correctly, and the prophets were not doing the right thing and preaching the right thing and teaching the right thing, and they had compromised everywhere, he went there empowered by the Spirit of God and turned the place right side up. He left there and went to the next place that he came from, which is called Bethel. And Bethel, when they had all these these ruffians and these individuals that were young men that were basically not wanting him to be there because they didn't want God. They didn't want to hear what God had to say. They wanted to listen to the prophets that were tickling their ears, telling them what they wanted to hear. Do what you want to do, etc., etc., etc. But no, he went there and when they came out and they tried to stop him from going in there, you know the story, the bears, two bears came out, two she-bears came out and, and killed 42 of them and just shredded them. Divine judgment because they wanted to stop the work of God from going on. But with this double anointing, this power from on high, he was able to succeed in representing God and doing his will. We came to, to, to the cross. We've been born again. But too often, too many just want to stay there and not go further in the things of God. I believe we're living in the last of the last days and Jesus is coming soon. And I believe he's speaking to our hearts and he's saying, look, it's time to give me complete surrender. Give me your all. Praise God. So there's the work in salvation. And in the work of salvation, what is it evidenced by? The fruit of the Spirit. So when the Spirit of God takes your spirit, recreates your spirit, you become a new creation in Christ Jesus, and all things pass away and all things become new, what happens? You begin bearing fruit. What does that mean? You start looking more like Jesus, acting more like Jesus, talking more like Jesus. You're making decisions based on the Word of God and not what you think or not what you feel. But the scriptures are there. You can look them up for yourself if you want. Galatians and John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, chapter 15, uh, Jesus talked about abiding in Him that will bear fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, and verses 22 and 23, He tells us what the fruit is. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness. Those things should be evident in our life, in our lives. And people should see those things in our lives. And as they see them, they know we're different. Do you know you're different? When you got born again, did you get changed? Did you start doing things that you didn't do before? I know I did. Loving people, giving to God, paying my tithes and all that, which I never thought to do ever before. And loving my enemies and doing good deeds for people and giving alms to the poor. and It's just all kinds of just things that I never would think about doing before. I entered a brand new world. Did you enter a brand new world when you gave your heart to Jesus? Absolutely. You start seeing things a whole lot differently, don't you? I would put on a television with Christian, you know, programs and that sort of thing, which I shuddered at before. But praise God, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. All right, look at, um, look in, uh, under point B, the Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ and imparts to us divine nature. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it is the Spirit of God, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, to come into a human body and baptize them into the body of Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and all been made to drink into one Spirit. So by, this is the work of the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that took the works of Jesus based on the cross, based, based on His death, burial, and resurrection, and gave us a brand new heart, a brand new life, a brand new nature. And we become children of the Most High God. His love is shed abroad in our hearts. And by one body, we're baptized into the body of Christ. That was His work in our lives. And we're part of the family of God. And thank God that we are. But as a part of the body of Christ, you know, it is our duty to continue to honor Him by living our life in such a way to be pleasing to Him. 
and, and taking our place within the body and fulfilling our ministry that we've been called to. But then also we're a partaker of the divine nature. Look at Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. We're partakers of the divine nature, whereby are given unto us exceeding great precious promises, uh, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Let that sink into our ears. What nature? The divine nature. We're partakers of the divine nature of God. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So this new birth, this born again experience is an impartation of the very life and nature. The Zoe life of the living God imparted to a human being recreating his spirit. So his temple, the body, can be purified by the precious presence of the Holy Spirit. And we become a vessel of honor, meet or prepared for the Master's use. Walking in love and faith and all the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, now this should be evident. People should see this in our lives. And you know what? If we find ourselves maybe faltering in that area, maybe it's time for another dunk in the blood. Right? Amen. Because you see, if we don't, maintain our focus it's easy to fall back into the old ways of the flesh it's time to remember that Jesus is coming soon and it's so important that we be ready now but the second work of the Holy Spirit and this is what so many people just don't want to hear today they think we're lunatics but I'd rather be a lunatic for Jesus than anything else and this is the work of the Spirit in the baptism. And the evidence of the Spirit baptism is power and tongues. Power and tongues. Look at Acts 1.8. But you shall receive what? Dunamis, mere working power. When? After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And he's talking to believers. And you shall be my witnesses unto, witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So power would come upon them. So when you say power, you're talking about the Holy Spirit and manifesting himself in dunamis, our miracle power, when he baptizes you. But then look at the next in Acts 2 and verse 4. This is what had occurred. The sound came from heaven like a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting, sat upon their pure cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them. And they were all filled. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. You see, the Holy Ghost is looking for vessels that he can fill. But those vessels have got to be pure vessels and holy vessels, which can only be made holy and pure by the blood of Jesus Christ, which is why salvation is before the Spirit baptism. Okay, so he filled them with the Holy Ghost and... They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you could say the entrance of the Holy Spirit into their lives in this second work of the Spirit did what? Gave them power and the ability to speak in another language or other languages that they didn't understand. Okay, so who was the one that established this? We know that it's not us. I don't think there was a Pentecostal church back then, do you? I don't think so. God is the one who established what these, the manifestation of the Spirit would look like in the life of a believer. Now that was the Jewish camp. But go to Acts chapter 10 with me. And this is now the Gentile camp. 
And that should speak to our hearts because we are the Gentiles. And look what happened here when Peter went to the house of Cornelius. And this is about 10 years after Pentecost. While Peter yet spake these words, he was preaching Jesus and him crucified and being raised from the dead in a house of a Gentile, which he thought he was not even allowed to do. And when Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they were, and they of the circumcision, or the Jewish people, which believed were astonished, amazed beyond measure. As many as came with Peter. Why? Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, how do you know, Peter? How do you know others? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. What's important to know here is that because of the fact that they didn't think that these people can receive even salvation, that they couldn't even be in their house to preach to them the good news of the gospel, he was sent there supernaturally, which means this is all of being established by whom? By God himself. And so here, Peter goes into that house of a Gentile, and he begins to preach the gospel. Well, God knows what he's thinking. God knows Peter's attitude. God knows all the other people that are with him. They're probably wondering, why are we here? What are we doing this for? This is not the right thing to do. We're going to get probably screamed at when we get back to Jerusalem. Well, what happens? God moves, showing that he, this is his sovereign work. This is not the work of a man. This is not the work of a denomination. And some people think it is. It has nothing to do with Pentecostal people. We didn't originate it. We're not the originators of, of power and tongues. In the Jewish camp, God did it. In the Gentile camp, God did it, even though it was being opposed by the Jews. So this is all of God. Remember when the one fellow said, look, if this is of God, you better let it go, because who are you to fight against God? So we got two camps here, the Jewish camp and the Gentile camp. And what happened when the Holy Ghost fell on them and entered into them? Power and tongues are a manifestation. Now, if someone who can read their Bible and say that the Bible does not teach that the second work of the Spirit being subsequent to salvation is a, is a separate work, then you know what? Either they don't know their Bible, or they're dishonest people, or someone needs to teach them and give them an education, because if they can deny that, they're denying Scripture. Look at Acts and chapter 8. And this is Philip at the city of Samaria. He went there, he preached Christ. This is eight years after Pentecost. The people gave heed, with one accord, gave heed to what Philip spoke and the things that he did. Because they saw evil spirits come out of people that were possessed with them. Those who were demonized were, were delivered, set free. Those had a palsy were healed. There was great joy in that city. There was a great revival in that city. And so much so that when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Okay. Well, are they saved? Would you say they're saved? They believed and they're baptized in the name of Jesus. Okay. 
Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received, what did they receive? Who's the word of God? Jesus. So they received the message. They were baptized in water. They received the word of God. What did they do? They sent unto them Peter and John. So who, when they were come down, prayed for them, why did they pray for them? So they stay faithful? No. That they might receive the Holy Ghost. Oh, wait a minute. They received Jesus. They were born again. They were baptized in water. But they went there to have them receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon how many? None of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Would you call them being saved if they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? I would. Absolutely. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received, not Jesus, the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, give me also this power. This what? Did you think he saw something spectacular here? I don't think that when he laid hand, Paul laid hands on them and they, or Peter and John laid hands on them and they got filled with the Holy Ghost, they were just statues standing there doing nothing. Thank you, John. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate you laying your hands on me. Thank you so much. Can I have a certificate that tells me that I received the Holy Ghost? I don't think that happened. Well, then what do I believe happened? Sometimes you don't have to have it clearly stated. But if you study this out, you'll find out that this is what happened. As what took place on Pentecost with the Jewish camp, what took place at Cornelius' house also took place at Samaria. Remember, the Jews didn't even think they could walk in Samaria. But they probably spoke in tongues just as the others did. I know that's true because Acts 19 says it, but also what they told Simon, if you study it in the Greek, was you have no part in this utterance. Your heart's not right. You think you could buy the things of God, Simon? Simon was involved in all kinds of different stuff before this, and he had to get a lesson taught to him. You can't buy the supernatural, buddy. And you offer to buy the supernatural? You think you can mer merchandise the things of God? Absolutely not. And they said you have no part in this utterance until you get your heart right with God. But he saw this manifestation. Now we see power. And we see once again a manifestation of the Spirit in this camp. So now we've got the camp of the Jews, the camp of the Gentile, and now it's Samaria. And what's happening? They're being filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. And with great power, they're witnessing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. When did all this stop and when did all this change? Look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. I don't think it ever did. Okay. And he said unto them, Go into all the world up until 1972. Or 1968. And preach the gospel to every creature. How many creatures? 
Every creature. He that believes the gospel and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. Who is the responsibility on with that statement? We preach it. Right? We hear it or preach it. It's up to the person that hears it to say, I believe it or I don't believe it. Right? If you believe it, thou shalt be saved. If you believe not, you shall be damned. And these signs shall follow half of them that believe. All them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. In my name they will speak in new tongues. Who said that? Jesus said that. He said that to his disciples. I got some news for all of us tonight. And anybody out there in the listening world. Every New Testament book was written by a Pentecostal tongue talker. Paul says, I talk in tongues more than y'all. He was from the South. (laughs) Didn't he say that? Right. Isn't that something that people don't know that? Peter, was he filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues? Yeah. The 120 were there, right? Weren't they all filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues? Mm -hmm. Mary, the mother of Jesus, got news, was filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues. She was a Pentecostal. Right? She was in the upper room as well. So what do we see here? Something changed over the years. Was it the message? Was it God himself? Or did people change? It wasn't God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not at all. Not ashamed. Jesus said, in my name, Those things, those five things will be done among those who believe. They will cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them and lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. While you're preaching the gospel, go into all the world. And I realize in our Western mentality, you know, we think, okay, so I went over to Rochester and I preached the gospel. No, there's not many snakes in Rochester that are deadly. You know, but when you go to different places where there's tribes of cannibals that want to eat you for lunch. Mm-hmm. And that's true. See, we don't think in that kind of Eastern mentality. We think about here. But he was telling them, you go out there and preach the gospel and I will protect you. I will defend you. I will fight for you. When they try to poison you, they won't, it won't, the poison won't have any effect on you. Because you are going there in my name. So you see, it's a different world than what we see. But he says, I will care for you and I'll protect you. But the whole point is here, here is this, is that the Holy Spirit is still looking for holy vessels in which to manifest himself. A.W. Tozer said, anybody know who he is? A.W. Tozer, he said, I think in most churches in America, if the Holy Ghost left for three months, they wouldn't even know it. They wouldn't even know it. They would go on conducting business just as they did from before, just praising and maybe singing some songs, reading a few scriptures. 
Beloved, we want the Holy Ghost to manifest Himself in signs and wonders and gifts and demonstrations of the mighty power of the living God and the resurrected Christ. We want it to be as it was in the beginning in the book of Acts when they moved with and cooperated with the Holy Ghost who sent them where they would go and told them what they would do. We want that same Holy Ghost fire here among us. And it comes when we surrender all. When we come to church like this, I'm not concerned about what you're wearing. I'm not concerned about what someone else is doing. I want to say, Lord, I am here. And I want filled till I am overflowing with your Holy Ghost presence, fire, and power. And I want to be used by you to reach this lost and needy world with the life-changing truths of the gospel. And I'm not going to take time to go into the value of tongues. We'll, do, we'll pick it up next time. But there's so much to talk about that along that line. But there's tremendous value. But I just want to conclude by saying, I believe what our sister declared tonight is directly from the Lord. Because I believe this is exactly what needs to be done in these last of the last days. We are ushering in the presence of our Savior, our Redeemer. He's going to be coming soon in clouds of glory. And when, he's come, when He comes, He's coming for a church without spot and without wrinkle. A church that's filled with and full of faith in His awesome power. A church that believes in saving the lost, healing the sick, and setting captive people free. Believing that He will stretch forth His hands, heal the sick, and cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead like He said. Nothing is too difficult for the God that we serve.